I've already oh, started. Angle, just way, so you know, I've, I've already I've already hit run. So yeah. we're good to go. Welcome back to another week of Native Plant Every Day. Yeah. So what is our plant this week, Christiane? Yeah. Just tell us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> mm. Mm. Nice trying. <laughs> you nearly got me. So today we have a multi-stemmed deciduous shrub. It's five to twelve foot tall, four to eight foot wide. The native range extends from southern Canada and New England, south to Florida, into Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras. And its wetland indicator status is obligate. All right. Do you want to ask a question first? or? So this is, uh, this is a tricky one because with, with the multi-stem shrubs, mm-hmm. I always have to, like, Berry tells me more than flowers, but if there's no berry, which I'm going to guess this one doesn't have a berry, um, I, what's the flower color and shape? <laughs> <laughs> you know me, Tom. Uh, so it's white and round. White and round. Okay, not what I was thinking. About. Um, flower. All right. Sorry. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant to say. Fall color. Fall color color is burgundy. Burgundy. All right. Um, I don't know that I really have a guess. I'm 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 not confident because I think what I was thinking of is a yellow fall color. So I I'm, yeah, the one I'm thinking of does not have round flowers, although they are white. I wish I knew what kind of berries it had. But but that's um, from Canada to yeah. Central America, but it's an obligate. Yeah. That that stays that small is difficult. Yeah, I have no idea. Um but I'm gonna guess just because I have to guess, uh Itea Virginica, which is Virginia Sweet Spire, and I don't think that's correct. It can't be button bush, right? Oh, that is a round flower. That is a round flower. Can I change my button bush? I'm I'm gonna say Cephalanthus occidentalis button bush. You got it. <laughs> I nearly thought I had you and was going to laugh. <laughs> I wanted to say I I wanted to say um alder. I I, I wanted to say alder and then like I'm like, oh, that's a yellow. I don't know, but <laughs> you didn't get us. I'm one step closer. You're listening to a native plant every day with Tom and Fran. Happy Monday! Welcome back to a native plant every day with Tom and Fran. I am Fran, and I'm Tom, and I'm Christine. We had a listener suggest that we change it where it's I am Tom, I am Fran, I am Christine, so that it uh, it rhymes. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I don't like that idea. Who won't listen to that? <laughs> it was <laughs> Russ Fernari. <laughs> Sorry, Russ. Um, so today's plant is buttonbush, uh, which is also called honeybells and buttonwillow, and the botanical name is Cephalanthus occidentalis. And this is one that Tom and I are actually somewhat familiar with. We grow it here at the nursery, so we know a little bit about it. You know, one of the things I think of with shrubs. Being an obligate, you know, buttonbush is one of the few things, one of the few woodies that we grow that can withstand permanent inundation. Mm-hmm. I think of uh, buttonbush and I think of Atlantic white cedar 
uh, when I think of permanent inundation. So it's one of the, the the few things I can think of. It has the wetland indicator status of obligate. It gets 5 to 12 foot tall, 4 to 8 foot wide. And as we mentioned, native ranges from southern Canada and New England all the way to Guatemala and Honduras. Yeah, and um, excuse me. The uh, the branches are opposite in world, and uh, ovate to elliptical bright green leaves are in pairs of threes. Uh, the margins are smooth on the leaves, and the upper surface is glossy, while the lower surface is a lot duller. The bark is thin and smooth on young stems, but because fissured and scaly as the, the branches get a little bit older. Uh, can I ask a, a, a favor, Christine? Depends. For for some of the future ones, only because I'm I'm looking at this and it's part of the Rubiaceae family, which I don't know what else is in that family. Um, could we like in the future get like some other items that might be part of that family? I can do that. All right, awesome. I pre- I know you could. That's why I asked. I might not. <laughs> so it is monoecious. Uh, it's multi-stemmed as far as the shape multi-stem with a rounded to a regular crown and needs little pruning. Uh, one and a half inch round flower heads that are densely packed with tiny, fragrant, tubular, creamy white flowers. Um, Which is you not ever- what you think of. When, like everyone, when they think, well, not everyone, but people who know button bush, when they think of button bush, it looks like a round flower head. Yeah. But it's the tubular flowers that make up that. It's multiple flowers that are making up the whole flower head. Yes. Like a lot of plants are like that. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever smelled the bloom of a button bush to notice its fragrance. Have you? Uh, no. no. No, not that I So now I'm think, wondering think what it smells like. Now I'm going to have yeah. to make sure I look. Uh, the long projecting styles give it a pin cushion-like or starburst effect. Kind of like uh, – uh, what's what's the common name for scabiosa? Button flower, I think. Like very similar, although it's white. It's it's. Do you, are you familiar with scabiosa? No, not at all. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it does bloom in June. So we do. It, we're only in March right now. So we definitely have time to uh, go out and um, smell those blooms when they come. Yeah, we're gonna have to make a note and remember. That'll yes. be big. So uh, it has a burgundy fall color, which we talked about in the the quiz at the beginning. Uh, the flower heads mature into hard, spherical, ball-like fruits consisting of multiple tiny uh, two-seeded nutlets, and the fruiting heads usually persist throughout the winter. Uh, this plant likes to spread through suckering and then becomes like a thicket, which is pretty cool as well. And uh, and you're going to find it in full sun part shade. Uh, so the nice thing with this one is if you have an area where you can have a button bush, um, it doesn't really have any serious insect or pest or disease problems. Uh, the root system is branching and woody with the taproot, so uh, be aware of that. Um, it is a pioneer species in frequently flooded bald cypress or water tupelo swamps uh, established on rotting logs and stump. And the few times I've actually seen it in the wild, that's kind of where I've seen it. Yeah, and one of the things I always do about this plant is it's great duck food. So it's great for wood ducks, common grackle, and king rail. Uh, they'll utilize the plant for ne- uh, nest protection as well. And during the fall migration, ducks and other birds eat the seeds. The seeds are also eaten by these birds in the southeast U.S. during winter. Uh, deers will browse the foliage, but um, the foliage is also poisonous to livestock. Then uh, insects like uh, and hummingbirds will e- eat the nectar because they have the long tubular flowers. And then uh, honeybees will use it to make honey. And it's the larval host of the hydrangea, uh, hydrangea sphinx. 
the Royal Walnut Moth, and the Titan Sphinx. It's kind of covering all those food web bases that we talk about. It's a larval host. It does have pollinator effects, um, and and other animals use it as well. Beavers like to use the wood of this shrub either as a source of food or the construction of their dam and lodges. Um, the Native Americans used decorations of the bark uh, or decoctions of the bark, sorry, as washes for sore eyes, an anti-diarrheal agent, anti-inflammation, and rheumatism medications. It is also used as or was used as skin astringents, headache and fever relievers, and venereal disease remedies. Yeah, keep that in mind, <laughs> Fred. For uh you play as a button bush in the background. Now, it always makes me think – I know this is going way off topic and we never go way off topic. But have you ever seen the the um, uh, drunk history about Lewis and Clark? Where, uh, I don't believe I've seen that one, no. So – and they were talking about how they they were all getting venereal disease. But they were they were curing it by by pouring mercury over their genitals. And if they had you're, only you're known, had yeah. they only known that they could have used button yeah. bush, yeah. you know, like, the, I don't know. The funny thing it, with that drunk history episodes is it's not all true. So <laughs> well, <laughs> well, no, that's true. That is true. But I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> so so the, the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the bark was also chewed to relieve toothaches, uh, which I could have used a couple years ago when I had toothache. Um uh, Roots were used for muscle uh, muscle inflammation as uh, and as blood medicines. And um, this shrub works really well in shrubby borders, woodland gardens, rain gardens, or to plant along edges of ponds and other water features. I know a lot of duck hunters love to where they have like a waterway, whether it's a pond or a stream or a river. They plant this and almost make it so thick because it really the ducks yeah. flock to these things in uh, when they're migrating south. Now the one thing to remember is we mentioned that it's an the wetland indicator status is an obligate, which means ninety nine percent of the times it's found in wetland conditions. But it doesn't have to be planted in water or wetland. It can it it likes it wet, but you know, you it can I've seen it in gardens and I've seen yeah. it perform well without being in that wet of an area oh, yeah. so it is a little bit more da- it's typically found that way but it's a little more adaptable kind of yeah. like iris versicolor would and, be and what's something you could substitute this or uh, button bush for in a in your traditional landscape you know it's you know one of the things because it has so many great pollinator benefits and it is a larval host it would be a great sub for butterfly bush which is budlia which is inv- uh listed as invasive in many states um but it's it maybe doesn't have as showy or as long-lasting bloom as that, oh. but you're you're getting that much more bang for your buck as far as helping pollinators. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, if you can use it that way, if you have a little bit wetter area and you and you want to really help pollinators and and provide a larval host, plus that the flower is so unique and interesting that it's definitely a showstopper, in my opinion. All right, I think it's time for the lightning round. Tom is a resounding lead of five to <laughs> six, six to two, six, six to two. Yeah. So let's see if I can make 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 a little ground. Okay. First up, true or false, you should never shear button bush shrubs. Never. Should never shear. 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 Uh, I think it's shear. great to share. <laughs> okay. All right. True, false. Cephalanthus is one of the last plants to leaf out in spring. Mm. All right. True, false, cephalanthus appears on the National Register of Champion Trees. All right. 
True, false. Because of the base of the shrubs, because the base of the shrubs are partially submerged during most of the year, fire may not be a threat. Okay. And then last is pick one of the following, which is a plant not usually associated with cephalanthus. Red maple, big blue stem, American beach grass, or American beech. All right. I'm yeah. not confident at all. Ooh, there's a couple couple tricky ones in there. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. First up is false. They can be cut back to the base or crown in early spring before new growth emerges to rejuvenate the plant. When you mentioned it was a suckering plant, yeah. that's what I assumed. Yeah. Next up is true. It is one of the last plants to leaf out in spring. All right. Next is true. Uh, Cephalanthus made its debut on the National Register of Champion Trees in 2019. It is 18 feet tall with a crown spread wow. of 17 and a half foot wow. located in Montgomery, Maryland. That's pretty big. All right. Next was true. Um, when the shrub is impacted by fire, though, it is slow to regrow. All right. Before we continue, where are you at, Tom? I have three of the four correct. I am three of the four also. Which I one got... did you get wrong? The champion tree one? Yes. Yeah, so did I. Okay. <laughs> I should know that, too. I've done a lot of research on champion trees. All right, so the fifth one is the tiebreaker, and hopefully we didn't have the same answer. I feel like we did. All right, what do you one got? of those things was not like the other, and that was American beach grass. And that's what I have also. And that's it. Because uh, the salt tolerance for American beach grass, that's typically like a dune planting. Uh-huh. I assumed yeah. that it was salinity impacted where button bush is freshwater. So, all right. You don't have a tiebreaker for us, do you? Mm, no, because I was hoping the multiple <laughs> choice would be. <laughs> All right. Well, we tied. We do have a tie. Right. At least we'll it wasn't a, a loss. Point. Yeah. We we'll both get a half a point. All right. How about we each just get a point? No, I'll do a half point. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's going to be too confusing later. I'll do a full point. Well, if you do a half a point and then, like, I get, like, someone could win by yeah, half a point. That's true. So. I guess because yeah. we're I guess at the end of season two, we'll have a winner. The issue is we'll both have a half point. Unless. Yeah, just do a full point because every. Yeah, just do a full. Every time we tie. Yeah. We're that's both the only time. Get a half point. Yeah. So you might as well do a full point. All right. So that's a fantastic plant. If you weren't familiar with Buttonbush or Cephalanthus occidentalis, uh, make sure you look up a, a photo of it. Check out the flower. I think you'll enjoy it. If you have a good spot, you can maybe add it to your yard. Tom, are you putting it in your yard? I would like to. It's uh, my yard is not very wet. And that's why I've held off. But uh, it is a really good plant for uh, a number of different things, um, different species. And I'd love to. I'm just worried it's might not survive because it's not wet enough. But I'm going to give it a try. How about you, Christian? Yes, I don't have somewhere to put it, but I'm going to make somewhere wet. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I I I'm concerned about about uh, having an area that's that's wet enough for it. I would I would love to have it in my yard personally because I think it would would be a great 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 addition. But I'm I'm just concerned that it's it's just not wet enough. Christiane, what was your favorite fact that you that you uh, found while researching this? I think it'd be the uh, sub for butterfly bush because right. I grew up with a bush at the back of my yard that 
I always loved, and then I learned about invasives. So, but not only that, it's not a larval host at all. Mm-hmm. Like, not saying that it doesn't yeah. attract pollinators, but it doesn't. It doesn't add to the the larval host. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, wonderful. So that's your plant for today. Make sure you tune in tomorrow for another episode. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to a native plant every day with Tom and Fran. Hey everyone, this is Fran and Tom, and we just wanted to give you a quick reminder to tune in every Friday to our other podcast, Native Plants Healthy Planet. Yeah, so on Native Plants Healthy Planet, we dive into all different kinds of subjects revolving around native plants and our ecology and having a healthy planet. We have guests from uh, from colleges, from other podcasts, from different nonprofits we work with, even authors. It's a really good time. We hope you join us over there. Make sure you tune in, and until then, keep it native.